Hello and welcome to The Queer Thesperience. I am your host, Casper Oliver. I am a bisexual, trans, masculine actor. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. I am a voice actor, podcaster, murder mystery actor, and troop director, and just whatever I can get my grubby hands on at this point, to be completely honest. And here I am joined by someone who I've uh, I've had a few workings with before, but we've sadly never done a show together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could please introduce yourself, kind sir. Well, I am Ricardo Robinson Chanel. I am a gay uh, male uh, who happens to be married to another man. Uh, mm-hmm. My pronouns, I use all the pronouns, child. I am he and him and his, and I will answer the she and her and anything else. As long as you call me whatever you want to, as long as you don't call me collect. <laughs> as long okay. as you're nice about it, I'll respond. Okay. As long as you're nice about it. You can even call me the B word if you want to, but make sure when you say it, you say it with the proper inflection. Okay. <laughs> the, d- the delivery is what's important here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and what is it that you do in the entertainment industry? Well, um, I am a high school drama teacher. Um, I teach dance and drama. Um, and probably the biggest thing that I, I, I guess I would say famous for if there is such a thing as being famous for but um i i teach color guard um with, and i do marching band design and all of that stuff so and ricardo and i met because he uh when i was first when i first became troop director he came in the first wave of auditions and he auditioned for you one of the roles you used was the cheerleader and you did the <laughs> you did that high kick and the bounce and I'm sitting there and I looked over your resume and I saw that you played Mr. Mistopheles at one point and I was I like did. I was like that that's where that is that's where that came from <laughs> yeah and once upon a time back in the day I, I did I choreographed um, a community theater production of Cats and that's a dance and seeing the leading role of um, Mr. Mistopheles which was fantastic and uh, is honestly, Mr. Mistopheles and Rum Tum Tugger were always my two favorites. So I saw that on your resume. I'm like, I get in my troop and you joined. <laughs> so, so we're going to be focusing more on the, uh, your edu- like how you are as an educator and also working with Color Guard. But one thing that you touched on that you wanted to talk about was growing up as a gay black man in Mississippi. So I feel like that might be kind of good for the origin of, I I have everyone start with, tell me about when you first started acting or when you first came out or started coming out because you never stopped coming out. (laughs) 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 But you actually gave the perfect uh, sort of starting point. So I will kind of let you just chat about growing up as a gay black man in Mississippi. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because so many people ask that question. They always say, when I tell them where I'm from, they're like, what was that like for you? Um, And it honestly has shaped me into the person that I am. Um, Here in the last couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of interviews and talks and discussions and things like that. And one of the things that I I love doing is I love telling the story of me, how I came to be, how I came into this world, how I got into what I was doing. Um, And Um, The story of me starts in a very small town in Mississippi. Um, There are more cows than people in in said small town. Um, My mother and my father um, got pregnant with me at a very young age. They were both in college. 
my mother was a modeling and fashion uh, merchandising major, and she was captain of the school's dance team. Mm -hmm. And my father was the star um, football player. So, you know, it was assumed that I was going to turn out to be some sort of athlete because my father was so athletic. Um, but <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my um, dad left the, the community college that they went to and he, he moved to Arkansas on a football scholarship um, in which he was Scottie Pippen's sweet mate in college. So Scottie Pippen is my uncle Scotty. I used to go to Scottie Pippen's uh, basketball camp when I was a kid huh. um, because my dad wanted me to play basketball. Um, but I was always taken by, from uh, my family by the cheerleaders and the band people. Um, and I just was so enamored by like the flags and the color guard. Um, and the school was the University of Central Arkansas. And this was like the early 80s, like 1982, 83, 84. Um, and they had a completely co-ed color guard. They had an all-female flag line and an all-male rifle line, and it was like 30 of them. And I thought it was the coolest thing, being this, you know, tiny kid who could barely walk. And so um, I wanted to do the flag thing. And so when all the other kids were playing basketball and football and all these other things, I was the kid that wanted to stand on the side and be the cheerleader, and then I wanted to do the halftime show. And my grandmother, God bless her heart and her soul, um, worked for a clothing company that made Hugo Boss jeans and she sewed. Um, so she would like just have scraps of fabric laying around and she would take the fabric and cut it out into a flag shape and nail it onto a broomstick. And I would march around in the yard from sun up to sundown. They're literally, you know, 30 something years, 35 years later, there are still spots in the grass that will not grow because I marched around in the yard <laughs> with my little boom box, um, spinning my flag. And as I got older, um, back in the day, and this is gonna date me, but, and I always feel so weird when I say this now because it's so far in the past, but back in the day, um, the marching band arranging companies, the companies that send out the actual music, they used to release tapes with all of the marching band songs that were available that year. And I, my, one of my best friends growing up, his dad was the junior college band director. He would just be like, here you go, here, take these. And I would take the tapes and put them in my boombox and I would just start creating shows. I would take different songs and different themes and I would um, spin and write choreography for them. I would design costumes. My grandmother taught me how to sew. So I would sew costumes for them. I would sew different flags for them. I, I even was doing the whole prop thing before props were big, which is how the whole theater thing comes into play with it. But I would paint and build props. My grandfather taught me how to build stuff. They were very adamant. They, they, were, they said, if you're going to do something, you're going to be the best at it and you're going to know how to do every aspect of it. So she, my grandmother said, you, I'm tired of making flags for you. Sit down at the sewing machine. Let me teach you how to sew a flag. And then it was, I'm tired of sewing costumes for you. Sit down, let's, let's figure out how to sew sequin vests and <laughs> all of that stuff. You know, and, my, and every weekend I was with my grandparents and we went shopping for stuff for me to make fabric, to make costumes and flags. And my grandfather would take me to the hardware store and buy PVC pipe and taught me how to build equipment and make props and things. And um, 
that's what I did growing up as a kid. Um, I, I played with the other kids, but I really was just wanting to be a performer and, and get out there and do stuff. Um, that evolved for me when I got to high school. I um, started doing show choir because uh, we didn't have a theater program at my high school. We just had community theater in town. Um, and because of show choir, I got to um, start taking private dance lessons. And I studied ballet and jazz and modern um, through high school. And um, the biggest part of my color guard journey is the fact that I auditioned, I wanted to audition to be in the color guard. And they told me that I was not allowed to be on the color guard because I was a boy. And this is a pivotal moment in life because I realized at that moment that anytime somebody tells me that I can't do something or that I'm not supposed to do something because of the way that my family raised me, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna be the best at it that I can possibly be. So I could already, I was spinning circles around the girls that were in the color guard at my high school. Uh, back in the day, I was already writing choreography. I've been doing it since I was two years old. Since I could walk, I was spinning the flag. So they kind of got wind of it and they were like, okay, well, will you teach us this? Will you write this routine for us? And so every Saturday morning, they would come to my house at like nine o'clock in the morning on Saturday and we would spend the entire morning and I would teach them their routines. And then magically, when they got back to school on Monday for marching band rehearsal, they had their show lunch. Um, and eventually they, we told the band director what was going on and he said, okay, well, you still can't be in the color guard, but you can teach the color guard. And so I did, I taught the color guard at my high school, um, all through high school. I had a key to my high school, my senior year, so I could teach color guard camps. Dang. Uh, yeah. I had an office there. <laughs> um, and I taught them. For years, and, and my senior year of high school, um, the junior college that is so infamous in all of these stories, um, the band director said to me, he said, you know, I need someone to teach my color guard, and you're really good at this. And I had marched drum and bugle corps uh, between my junior and senior years. And so I became the color guard director at that junior college, and I was the director for 10 years until I moved to Georgia. And the college kids had no idea I was actually still in high school. They just didn't know that they... They knew I was around their age, but they didn't realize that they never saw me on campus during the day because I was a high school child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, it just took off. I taught that program for years. Um, I started teaching like a whole bunch of really, really good marching band programs in Mississippi. And it evolved from one school to another. And it was a stepping stone from one place to another. And I worked with the group that, um, won a state championship and no one thought that this particular group of people was going to win really and i'll be honest i'll be open and honest to say this it was a group of, of an all-black marching band and they yeah. won the state marching band championship and people didn't think that that was supposed to be possible so then i got offered a job to be the choreographer for uh one of the top named schools um, in the state and i was the color guard director there and another top program simultaneously in the junior college until i uh, moved away. And all through this experience while I was doing this, I started doing um, community theater. Um, my first role in community theater was I played um, the dancing version of Curly in, um, in Oklahoma. And so this is a fun story that you will love, Casper. Um, the leader, the lead person in the show was an older white man who was like, 
five foot two and I was five foot nine and a black man. Um, he was kind of stocky and I was not stocky then or now. I'm skinny. I was very skinny back then. And the whole scene starts with him singing and blah, blah, blah. And the scrim comes down and then they're backlit and you see me standing behind him mirroring his gestures. And then all of a sudden the screen rises up and everyone is supposed to believe that this white man has transformed into this like 15 year old black boy who is doing ballet behind him. And that was my debut on the stage for musical theater. I did the same thing in Carousel the next year after that. And then went on to do a whole bunch of musical theater shows um, in junior college. Um, when I got to university, um, I, I got a gig choreographing um, for one of the best high school theater programs in the state of Mississippi. Um, and I, I got my first directing job. They allowed me to direct there. Um, helped craft an original play, Katrina Through Hell and High Water, if you've ever heard of that. It won like Southeastern Theater Festival, Theater Conference and was performed at the Kennedy Center. It was in talks to be off-Broadway. Um, it's still being performed now. Yeah, I helped write that show. Um, and I was, uh, the university um, asked me to be the choreographer in residence for the opera and musical theater department while I was studying dance and, and musical theater and, and voice there. So Dang. just a long, long history of like one step opening up and creating another step and doors opening up and doors closing, but then a window popping open and me crawling my ass through that window. <laughs> and, you know, lo and behold, 20 years later, I'm here in Florida, part of the Murder Mystery Company, whenever I have a free moment to do a show. <laughs> you are so busy, dude. Yeah, and, and teaching my color guard and, and running my theater program and running my dance program. Only Ricardo can see me, but I have been smiling so wide <laughs> the entire time he's been talking. My face hurts. Like, oh, I just, I love this so much. I, I didn't realize that you started so young. Yeah, I did. And, you know, and that's one of the things it's like I look at life now, you know, at, at 38 years old. And this is something that I've done for my entire life. I don't know how to, how to not do it. Right. Um, it's so in, in my blood that. I always tell my students a lot of times whenever they get cocky, I say, sweetie, I forgot more information this morning on my drive to work about color guard and dance and theater than you will know in your entire life. I've been doing this for so long. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've been doing this since before you were even conceived. I've been doing I, I was this. Doing, I've been doing this since before your parents were even, you know, <laughs> thought of. Now, at this point, I'm literally at the point where, like, I'm older than my students. <laughs> Dang. No kidding, though. It's so, that's so wild. I mean, I'm not surprised that you've been doing this for so long, but I didn't know you had been doing this for so Like, you, you tell me, it's like, oh, yeah, I started this when I was two. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's, I love your story, but I kind of want to ask, you know, as someone who also grew up in a town where there were more cows than people, uh, more churches than houses, um, more cornfields than roads. How does, how did being gay affect any of this when you were growing up? You know, so um, I, my family um, all had really amazing jobs. My grandfather owned a trucking company, my, my grandmother, um, that I spoke of earlier. She worked and was a supervisor for, for the sewing factory. Um, my maternal 
grandmother um, was a um, lead sewing person for Lazy Boy, mm. the furniture company. My mother was the human resource director for Lazy Boy. Um, so I, we were prominent figures in the community. Uh, my aunt was an alder woman. Um, you know, my godfather was the chief of police. All of these things. So it, it wasn't like I was, you know, just some random person running around. Like people knew who I was. Right. Um, as I was going through high school and starting to figure out the whole gay thing, uh, most of my friends were white girls, and everyone thought that that was weird. And everybody, and it was an extremely racist town. Yeah. And you know, people didn't understand why this little black boy, you know, was running around with all these white girls and they, it was very frowned upon. And there were a lot of people who, you know, said things. And I, as I got older, I found out about conversations and people telling, you know, their kids, well, you can't bring him to our house and he can't go here and he can't do this with you. Um, but for every person that was like that, there was another person that was like, he's a wonderful person. He's a sweetheart. Look at his family. His family's great people. You know, we just have to love him. And I remember it. Um, the first, I had a little gaggle of gay friends yeah. that um, we all did band together and we were always going to band clinics and, and state, all state festival and all these things. And we would always get together and we would, um, we would hang out. We had this, we had secret smoking spots at every place that we went. And so it was like our little secret. We would all get together and smoke cigarettes and, you know, hang out. And they, they were in the same boat. They were all like, you know, gays and, and girls that just wanted to be around the gays. And we started coming out to each other. Um, and my freshman year of high school, I had a crush on a boy. He was on the football team, but he also was in show choir with me. And he started writing me these letters. And this is, this is back before cell phones, people. So we were still <laughs> writing notes and passing notes in class. And um, he and I were passing notes. He put notes in my locker. I put notes in his locker. And my best friend at the time, her name was Jessie. She, um, I like kind of looked at her and I like passed her this note and she just grabbed my hand in class. And it was in, in history class, I remember. And she said, honey, you're gay. He's gay. <laughs> It's okay, go for it. We're still gonna love you. We're oh. still gonna be your best friend. And that was the moment when it was it was okay. Yeah. Um, I, now I didn't just come out busting out the wall because this was like 1996 right. in rural Mississippi. I'm not just gonna be like, oh hey, honey, I'm gay. I was, you know. <laughs> so I I had this secret boyfriend, you know, and we would be in rehearsal, and then all of a sudden we'd run in the bathroom like, oh, happy, and then we go in the bathroom and make out, or yeah, you know, playing these like these like sleepovers or whatever and you know you know what was going on. oh yeah and and now nobody was wiser uh, my mother um when i was a junior in high school happened to go in my bedroom and i guess she was snooping around and she claims she was looking for a shopping bag but she found a bag of vhs porno tapes and um <laughs> oh no and magazines yeah and she called me at my grandmother's house she's like you need to come home right now Oh no! Like, oh my! Oh my God! What's going on? And I I got home and I walked in my bedroom and like all the stuff was laid out on the bed, and I just looked at her and I was like, I, I I and she goes, I have to go to work now. I'll talk to you later. And she walked out of the house and went to work. She was moonlighting as um as a nine one one operator because oh. this was this was when our town first got nine one one. This is in the nineties when the town got nine one one service. So she was moonlighting doing that just to help out 
her friend who was the sheriff. And I was devastated. I, I, up until that point, everything in my life from church, everything I had been told before was that being gay was wrong and that you were not going to be loved and you weren't going to have a family. And it was a very sad moment for me because at that moment, I thought that I was going to have to give up my family. And I, I just cried and I sobbed and I was supposed to go to a party that night with friends and hang out. And, you know, the people who loved and accepted me and knew my secrets and all this stuff. And all I could think of was my mother's devastated and she's going to kick me out of the house. And I remember crying and just being so sad. And all of a sudden I get this phone call and it was my mom. And she, I was like, are you kicking me out of the house? And she goes, oh God, no, baby, you're too fabulous for that. She's like, I, she's like, I love you regardless. She was like, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to feel any kind of way. She, she said, you always have a home with me. I will never tell you that you aren't good enough. And it was just a sweet and tender moment and open and honest with my mom. And that's the relationship that we have to this day. I mean, we had our issues. We had our, our fights or whatever every once in a while. But, you know, my, my mom, I like to say she is like the biggest hag. She is, she is all the gay boy's mama. Everybody yeah. around there adopts her. They come out to her first. But, and she is always the person that, you know, tries to talk to other parents and, and you know, tell them, hey, it, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's fine. So that I, I, I had it easier than most people. I got picked on. I got gay bashed a couple of times. And we can talk about those gay bashing stories if you want to, because those are fun. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, there was a large group of people who um, loved and supported me and were there for me and kept my secrets and covered for me and walked through the mall and held my hand and did all of those things. And so it life was not as bad as some people have. Yeah. And I, I think that's so important to have because the way that you're explaining your mom really reminds me of my mom, except there was a slight difference in the story is when I was very young, I realized because, you know, I grew up presenting as female and I realized I liked girls because of th- three instances that happened very close together. One, my great grandmother showed me Chicago when I was way too young to see Chicago, but I saw <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> I was like maybe seven when I first saw the movie Chicago. In fact, that was the first show I ever choreographed on my own. Oh, one. Look at that link. <laughs> fantastic. Two, what a musical. Yes. And I didn't realize that the way that I was looking at the women was like the same way that I was looking at men. And then my other grandma started to show me old Audrey Hepburn films. And My Fair Lady, I crushed on both Audrey Hepburn and Jeremy Brett in that movie. And I'm like, can they get together and then like adopt me, like please? And then my mom showed me Resident Evil with Mia Jovovich as the main protagonist. And her just (laughs) kicking butt. And I'm like, and that was when I was like, oh, that's what this is, okay. And so I was outed at school by an ex-boyfriend of mine, the whole school knew, and it was terrible, like absolutely terrible. But all the fellow queers, like when it, when, when I was outed, other people who weren't out, like came to me and were like, Hey, hush, hush, but me too. And like, I kind of got brought into that, that, that circle, but I came out to my mom. She was laying on the bed and I went to her in tears because I didn't know how she was going to respond. 
And I was like, you know, mom, I got to tell you. And I told her that I'm queer. I was like, I don't know if I'm gay or what, but I know I'm, I, I like men and women and da, da, da. And my mom sat there and it was the most agonizing three seconds of my life where she just kind of looked at me. And now I know it's because she was thinking of what to say. Because the next mm -hmm. thing she said, the next thing she said was, yeah, Alice is pretty hot, isn't she? And then my mom, <laughs> my mom came out to me as bi in the, like, just like, ooh, no reverse card. She's like, me too. I was like, what? <laughs> and, but my mom was also the one who would adopt everyone. And she almost fist fought my current roommate's mom because my roommate's mom was homophobic. And my mom was almost got into a fist fight with her, which I would have paid to see, but glad she didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> And it's just so important to have that support mm -hmm. and that encouragement. And when you said gaggle of gays, I'm like, every school has a gaggle of gays. Yeah. You just got to look. Yeah. And I, was, I was the only gay. I mean, my, my best friend from high school came out um, when we were in college. Yeah. Uh, when we were in university. Um, but I was the only gay. I just was surrounded by all of these really cool hippie people that were just like, it's cool. It's fine. Yeah. My, my, my gaggle of gays actually went to like a couple of different like neighboring schools. Yeah. So we just convened on the phone. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> funny you mentioned that is um, when uh, my first ever, I'm going to use quote unquote boyfriend cause we were like fifth grade. So whatever. But my first ever boyfriend, I, we bumped back into each other in high school and I was identifying as lesbian at the time. And then he was like, Oh, I'm gay. And I was like, Oh, well, isn't that funny? You know, that we're both <laughs> queer. And then we reconnected over Facebook not too long ago. So not only are we both bi, but we're both trans and we're just like, what? what? Cause he's gender. Wow. He's, he's, he's gender what are the odds? I know. <laughs> and it's just, it was just this wild experience, but small world. And I always say there's more of us than you think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, have, I got secrets locked up in here, honey, that would, that would topple government. So. <laughs> it's like you should be lucky that I am keeping you, these to myself. You better be glad that I'm a lady, darling. And I'm not a lady never tells secrets, darling. Some but, of you out there in the world. <laughs> but oh, I could blackmail you for so much money. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you, another thing that you brought up, which I am very excited to talk about, is creating more inclusive classrooms and giving students an outlet to explore their queerness and educating other educators. Yeah. And I love this topic. I used to be a teacher, but it was for like newborns to five-year-olds. So like the, <laughs> those kids had no idea. Right. right. But we had a lot of queer parents coming in. And so it was always good to see like the other parents be accepting of the lesbian moms coming in or the gay dads coming in with their twins, you know, and, mm -hmm. but you work with significantly older kids than I did so, and the kids that are dealing with this. So I would love to have you talk about your experiences with making these more inclusive classrooms and educating people. Cause unfortunately that, that burden does fall on us as queer people to yeah. educate. And so I would just love to have you talk about that for a bit. It does. You know, when I, when I first started teaching, I was very, I kept my private life extremely private. And for the most part, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going around spilling all of my business, right. um, but I, I never commented on boys. I never like made mention of it. And it was um, when I moved to Georgia, um, of all places, 
um, the kids were just like, girl, it's, and like, that's when they started embracing just calling me girl. They were like, girl, that's fine. Like, girl, yeah, did you see him? Did you? And the parents, the band dads, were the first ones to be like, it's, dude, it's fine. Do whatever. It, you're good. And they were so open and like free. And they thought it was awesome that their kids were being taught by this gay man. And, and so when I moved into like actually teaching, um, I, I just kind of started like not hiding it so much. I started off as, you know, being closed off and that was the thing. And then it just got to be more open. Um, and, and to the point now where it's like, you know, I mean, obviously I'm married to a man. My, my name changed two years ago to this hyphenated thing. And I was pictures of my husband up and yeah. all this, you know. Um, but one of the, the first things that started happening, I started noticing that it was like, okay, maybe you have to be like that person for people. Yeah. Was there was a student on uh, my campus and this was like my first year at the school that I'm at now currently, um, who was going through some, you know, gender um, identity issues. And, and he, he identifies as a man now, but he does do drag. But at the time, he didn't know if he was trans. Yeah. And so he was wanting to come to school in drag, and he was wanting to go to the prom in drag and all these things. And so my principal at the time, she, she just called me in the office, and she's like, listen, she was like, you and I can talk about this stuff. She was like, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what I should do. And she goes, I don't want to be someone who makes this kid feel like they are not important. They're not seen. They're not heard. She's like, I want to make sure that this kid knows that whatever path they choose, you know, we're going to be here to support them. And I said, okay. I said, so we're going to address everything as if this is not the outside thing, the, the gay, the, the transgender, all that stuff. It's not it. We have to focus on what is going on with this kid and making sure that the kid feels comfortable. And we have to make sure that the other students around this kid understand that this is something that they're going through and that's okay. And we have to train the students to be leaders. Yeah. Um, you know, and as, as an arts teacher, I, lots of our students are gay, you know, oh, and, yeah. then, and, and lots of our, especially our boys, which is really odd to me. But I have a whole gaggle of like real live boys, like real live straight boys who look like boys who act like the whole stereotypical, you know, cis man like yeah. thing, but they love theater. And so they, these kids all understand um, that sexuality is fluid. They understand that gender is sometimes fluid and they embrace that. And they, they just tend to band together and take care of each other and make sure that, you know, people are calling people by the right pronouns, that, you know, we're not excluding people for something. Um, and that's kind of the atmosphere that I try to keep in the classroom. Um, a lot of teachers ask me questions about things when things come up. They're like, how would you handle this? And I'm just open and honest with them. I say, well, how would you, how do you think you should handle this? Yeah. Like, I, you know, like what, what, what would you do if this was the situation? Um, but the, the biggest thing I, I will say being a color guard instructor and being the color guard instructor where I am now is that I tend to get the kids who flock to be in the program just because they know it's a safe place. Yeah. I have boys that want to come and be in the program because they want to be performers and they want to dance and they want to do this. And then they might want to start dabbling in show makeup 
Yeah. I have a kid, I have a kid right now who literally paints all the girls' mugs. He does all the makeup for the kids because he's so good at makeup. And he just straight up asked me, he was like, can, can I do the girls' show makeup too on my face? I said, baby, you do whatever you want to do. Yeah. I said, this is you. Ain't nobody, if, ain't nobody gonna say nothing to you. And if they do say something to you, they're gonna have to deal with me. And you know they don't want to deal with me. <laughs> <laughs> and kids need that. Yeah, they do. And and it took a while for me to to understand um, being and I and I say this because we are in the in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement now. So I'm one of two black teachers on campus, and for years I was the only one. Right. Um, and I'm the only one that's like out and proud and gay. Um, it took one of my assistant principals and my former principal telling me, our kids need to see you. Yeah. Bring something to our campus and our kids need to see that you, it is okay to be out and proud and gay and black and strong and a man and this and that. They need to see these things. They need to see that it is normal so that they normalize it when they go out into the world. I am... I got chills. I am so glad that you have that because you hear so many times of people getting suppressed or people saying, no, you're, you're too much. No, the kids don't need to see this because they'll confuse them and blah, blah, blah. But it's, <laughs> which is like, uh-huh. Yeah. The, the, the straight world really did a good job at confusing me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Whatever you say. Sure, Jan. But, <laughs> but the fact that you have this platform and you have this area where you can be what's needed, you know, and that's kind of one of the reasons why this podcast is a thing is to give mm -hmm. the platform and to give the voices to which I love. I just I love this so much. When you message me and we're talking about, it, I was like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever, <laughs> which, which really warms my heart. And I was actually inspired because you know when I was a kid. I've known that I'm queer since I was very young. Um, and so when I was like my freshman year, I went to a tiny little tech school. It was called like Bloomington New Tech or something like that, where they were trying to make everything more digital and everyone did more computer learning because they were trying to be like, get with the future, you know? <laughs> and there was maybe 150 of us students and like mm -hmm. 10 staff members tops. And we had- an a small child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of my classes had like 10 people in it, you know, like, and that's not even the smallest school I went to. Um, <laughs> but we had an openly gay um, man who he was like the lab, the lab and library tech. And I gravitated towards him, you know, because I was like, ah, oh, queer, queer, same, same. So I gravitated mm -hmm. towards him. And I was his lab tech assistant my freshman year. He was like, I like you, you're going to be my assistant. And with him, I established the school's first GSA club. And I was very open about it. We were putting, awesome. up, we were putting up flyers and one of the flyers got defaced at one point. And this is after years of me being bullied, like shoved into walls, shoved downstairs, you know, like I have scars from it. And so I saw it got defaced and I had like enough. And so I took the defaced poster, walked into the lunchroom and went to the person monitoring the lunchroom and said very loudly, hey, and like I made a stink about it, you know, in front of the entire lunch. And after that, one of the kids, a fellow freshman came to me, pulled me aside. He's like, I got to talk to you. And I was like, oh God, is this the guy who did it? Is he coming to apologize? <laughs> like, oh, come on, really? No. And he pulled me over and he came out to me. And I was the first person we had met maybe twice. 
And I was the first person he came out to because I was the first person he saw be not only queer, but also like putting my foot down. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't a teacher. I was a fellow student. But just imagining having a teacher, you know, being that yeah. and knowing like, oh, this is someone that I'm supposed to trust and look up to. And I can. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. so important. Um, so, and it seems like at least now you have a very good uh, kind of rapport and community with your fellow teachers and your students are really closely, you know, close knit. So how has this been with you, with you being so big in like with color guard and you being the coach with them? Um, Cause you know, you've, you've gone off and done tournaments. I've seen your photos, which are so <laughs> awesome. So kind of, how has that experience been? Have the two, have the two worlds collided in any we, notable We ways? do things. We win things occasionally. You know, you know just sometimes. Uh, just sometimes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like this. I will sum it up and tell you that when I, when I first started teaching at the school that I teach at now, um, my kids called me mama. Yeah. And and everyone wondered why, and they were and they were like, "Well, we spend more time with him than we do our actual parents, and he gives us all of this advice, and you know, he takes care of us, and he kicks our butt whenever we need to get our butts kicked, and so it stuck. And so when I when I moved to the high school six years ago to teach full time, I would be walking across campus, and you hear kids scream, "Mom, mom!" and they were always referring to me. <laughs> so I. <laughs> You know, I like, and now it has just stuck. It is, it has been years of the, the entire color guard calls me mom. My thespian troop calls me mom. The kids who are in my advanced class call me mom, or they call me mama Ricky. Like my backpack that's embroidered, like my team backpack has mama Ricky on it. Like all of my stuff says mama Ricky because I am, I, I, I just, I am that person for those kids. Um, and it's not just there. Like I've, I've taught um, independent groups, university groups, and those people are out in the world and they're teaching. Wherever I go, if I hear the word mama, I, I immediately respond to it because I'm like, where's one of my babies? Yeah. You know, I don't even answer. I don't even answer to Ricky or Ricardo anymore because I don't, I don't hear that anymore. But if, if the kids, like if we're on the field and we're doing something and they're 50 yards away and they need my attention, they don't say Ricardo. They don't say Ricky. They don't say Mr. Robinson. They go, mom and I just turned and I'm like what what is it baby you know so and I think that right there sums up how I feel about my kids and how where my how comfortable my kids get with me um and and the love and mutual respect that I have for them um their parents also call me mom you know I love that you know I I am half the time there's so many times when my when my kids parents my kids are doing something at home and their parents don't know how to deal with it. And they just call me and they're like, listen, this is what's going on at home. Can you handle this? And then the next day, Mama Ricky gets on the scene and the kids are like, right. Because yeah. <laughs> they listen so, to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I am that, I'm that, that, that fierce black lady that, you know, everybody needs in their life. Yeah. <laughs> I just so happen to, to be a man. Um, but that's kind of how it fits into the world. I mean, like me, my role as mama has been, for generations of kids now I, and and raising them and loving them and showing them that your queerness or your straightness or whatever in between that you are is okay you just have to be a good person you have to be a decent person and do good things in the world and for other people that's all i want kids to do and i want you to love one another and i want you to respect one another and do that and if, if the rest of the world could do that and have that model then we could live in a great place 
Oh yeah, the world would be amazing. <laughs> the world would be better with more mama rookies. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that I, you you said that, and it was just kind of reminding me. Like I don't know because you and I haven't really done shows together. Sadly, I've seen you at rehearsals and stuff, but the entire troupe calls me dad. The entire, yeah. <laughs> either yeah. either dad or grandpa because some of them uh-huh. so, some of them playfully call my assistant directors Tyler and Stephanie who you've met mm-hmm. they call them mom and dad so it's like well if they're mom and dad then you're grandpa because they're assistant director and you're director <laughs> and I'm like I am younger than most of you but okay I'm your grandfather <laughs> now oh right right <laughs> like when you have that platform when you have the opportunity when you have the empathy and the heart for it then you really need to be that person for others Mm -hmm. and it comes it comes more naturally to some than others but the unfortunate circumstance is especially with us in the queer community and especially people like you know you being a black gay man it's like we really have to step up and be that representation Mm -hmm because no one else in the world has given it to us. And I understand, especially because I I walk down the street and I'm seen as a man. And as like a white queer man, I know that I have the privilege of being like, hey, a little gay over here and I'll be more likely to be listened to. I know that I don't have to fight as hard. And that pisses me off because I'm like, no, like none of us should have to fight for this representation. And no one should have to fight harder than I have to fight because the amount I have to fight is bull honky enough you know right it's just it's mind-boggling but it's the unfortunate circumstance that we're living in but things have been slowly but surely making progress and getting better at least i like to believe yeah we're getting more representation we're getting more rights we're getting more and we're being seen you know when i was when i was a, a high school kid i remember i was glued to the television show dawson's creek because there was the one gay character on that show and you never saw this character with the boyfriend you never saw anything we went through the journey of this person coming out it wasn't until college that i think he actually like kissed somebody on tv yeah um and we had will and grace which was groundbreaking. Oh, yeah you know and so we didn't see ourselves in any type of normalized situation it was always the, the queer people were always the extravagant you know, flippant person that comes into the room and does whatever and for comedic relief and then that's it. Or the villains. Now, or, the, or the villain. Always the stupid. But now, you know, we have every major television show mostly has some type of queer representation. So we see ourselves being normalized, which is hopefully leading to the world to realize that we are, we are normal people. We do yeah. normal jobs. We are your teachers and nurses and you know, grocery store workers and CEOs and bankers and all of these other things, we are woven into the fabric of society and we are normal just like everyone else. Yeah. And I remember you you mentioned uh, like having queer characters just being characters like everyone else, you know? Uh, That's what's so great about we have these cartoons now like um, Steven Universe, OKKO, She-Ra, where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you have these characters and it's like some of these heroes just so happen to be gay. You know, some of these villains just so happen to be gay, but they're not written like as the gay one. They are yes, just right. the characters. And I will have an eternal love for the show Lucifer on Netflix because <laughs> one, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, one, because he's 
hot. Hot, 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 hot as hell, but I'm king. <laughs> but just, I, I will always remember the episode where the woman was like, you know, Lucifer, I need a list of everyone you've slept with in the last like six weeks or something. And he's like, you're going to need a bigger notepad. And then it pans out to show the line of people he slept with. And you see men, you see women, you see butch women, you see effeminate men. And it's just all kinds of people. And there's never a joke about it. It just happens. She's just like, wow, that's a lot of people. And then moves on. And it was this moment of, well, did they just do that? Did they just, because if it was all women, it'd be like, yeah, it's Lucifer. Of course he's going <laughs> to sleep with a lot of women, but, and it's just, they treat it so normal or mm-hmm. good omens. Yeah. You know, um, when they had Crowley in two different time periods dressed and presenting as female, no one batted an eye when Crowley was the nanny with the long hair and the dress. No one batted an eye when back in Jerusalem, he was dressed in very feminine garb, you know? And it, you're seeing it now. And it's yep. when oh handled right. <laughs> um, Shit's Creek. Oh, I need to watch that. That's how on the list. You need to watch that. It is brilliant because it's, it, there is, there, it's no, no one makes a, a remark about anything. Like when David is, dating a girl and then David starts dating a boy. It's just normal. Like it, and it's, it's a portrait of what the world should be. And I hope that we're getting closer to that point to where it is just, it's just not a thing. Like I don't need to announce to you that I'm gay. I, I don't have to. I'm, I have a ring on my finger and guess what? I'm married to a man. Yeah. Okay. Keep it moving. Yeah. But, oh, this has been so much fun. I love it when my face hurts from smiling and laughing. And that's how, <laughs> that's how it always is with you, girl. Oh, thanks, that's how it always is with I, you. I love chatting with you. We always have just a good old kiki yeah. whenever we, we get to chat. Hopefully we'll get to do some shows yes. soon or something together. Anything. Now that, now that the marching band world is kind of halted, I kind of have a little bit of time. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see how Florida decides to handle everything but uh i know it people you should be glad right now that you can't actually see my face and the, the facial expressions that i'm making because my eyes are rolling so hard i am going to be cross-eyed tomorrow yeah oh and you're, <laughs> you're an educator so you <laughs> definitely have a lot of very rightful opinions on this matter mm-hmm. <laughs> oh if you could see his face that that's a mood though that is a whole <laughs> i don't even think they need to see the face they know uh, <laughs> they know but, or give me the strength. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, uh, there, there are two things that I ask of every guest. Uh, first thing is, if you, I mean, you have experience in this. We talked about it. The advice that you give to people, the younger people who are just trying to figure themselves out, needing some words of encouragement, maybe especially those going into the entertainment industry, and are trying to find their place in the world with their identity and their performance. What sort of advice have you found yourself giving the most? You know what? I have this phrase and I say this to my students all the time. You know, everyone has this thing about being normal and normal this and normal that. You know what? No one normal ever changed the world. No one who was considered normal ever did anything good or bad to make a difference and change the world for anything. So embrace being quote unquote weird and and just go with it. Love yourself. As RuPaul says, if you don't love yourself, how the hell are you gonna love anybody else? 
you know what? And those are, those are words to live by. You know, don't be afraid. You are loved. If you feel like you aren't loved, child, shoot me a message on Facebook, honey. We'll pray about it. We'll talk you through it because everyone is valid and worthy and amazing and awesome. And don't ever underestimate yourself. And just to summarize what I said, no one normal ever changed the world. I love that. I'm stealing that because that is so true. Dang it. It's so true. It's beautiful. And where can these lovely listeners find you on social media? Oh my goodness. I don't even know my own social media handles. So I never get on the Instagram. Um, but you know, you can find me. My Instagram is, let's see, what is my Instagram? Oh crap. No, that's not it. It's Ricardo Robinson. Yeah, just Ricardo. Oh, Ricardo R. Robinson. My middle initial is R. So Ricardo R. Robinson on the Instagram. And I'll start trying to be on Instagram more. Oh, well, look at that. (laughs) Making changes in the world one step at a time. And and my Twitter, which I never get on Twitter, is um, at flag twerk. F-L-A-G-T-W-E-R-K. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I love this so much. And if you see, if you are on the Thesperian's Twitter and Instagram with his promo post, I will tag him in it. So you can just go click on those posts and find him through there. And uh, thank you again. Thank you so much, Ricardo, for joining me today. Thank you for thinking of me. And I just, I support this wholeheartedly. I I love any experience to be able to to sit down and talk and, and kind of bring my world because it you know it is it's performing art and i i cross in many genres and so i love being included into conversations like this and i definitely love any conversation where i can talk to kids um about the queer experience and that's you know as i said that's what i'm hoping with this and you've just been so from the moment I met you, so unapologetically authentic, which is one of the things that really drew me to you. And like you walked in the door at rehearsal and I remember there, there have been some people who have joined the troupe that have either been out from relatively the very beginning or came out to me a little later on and were like, you know, I was really nervous walking in that door because I didn't know who the director was going to be. So I kind of (laughs) put on a bit of a performance. I dressed either more masculinely or more femininely to try and appease whoever the director was. No, but you walked in that door and there was never a moment of hesitation. It was just, (laughs) and like you walked in the door and there was no, no ignoring you. And in, in the, absolute best way and that is one of the things that i really appreciate and admire about you as a person is you're just so thank you i just i just gotta be me baby i just gotta be me i you know i can't be i can't be anyone other than who i am and that's who i am and i'm not gonna apologize for it if you don't like it girl that's not my business that's your (laughs) business if you don't like it okay yeah. So, <laughs> and then, like if you're walking keep it, in keep it moving. <laughs> walking into an audition or job interview and you feel like you have to be performative, then do you really want to be there? Like if, if you have right. to, if you have to be performative about yourself and not just your role, like you exactly. Know, you shouldn't be there. You don't exactly. waste your time. But thank you so much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. And to our listeners, if you are on the Twitter, the Instagram, Facebook, wherever, just search The Queer Thesperience. You will find us. 
We are slowly but surely migrating to everywhere you get your podcasts. And so every other Friday, you can come and hear different guests come on and talk about their experiences within the entertainment industry and also within the queer community. And so this has been your host, Casper Oliver, with my lovely guest, Mama Ricky. (laughs) (laughs) Signing off. And remember, all the world's a stage, so give them one hell of a show. Thanks for listening in. Bye-bye.